Now, some of you are fully aware of uh, one of my neighbors, one of my um, good neighbors who's a friend of mine. He's, he's Jewish, and we have opportunity to exchange understandings of who God is and what it's all about back and forth. And uh, one of the things he's been doing over the last number of months, he, he gives me, after he has read it, uh, the, the Wall Street Journal. And in it, there's all kinds of articles he wants me to read. He'll circle it and whatever it might be. Sometimes he wants to give me investment advice, and you would think that would be from a Jewish person. He wanted to give me investment advice. But also, he wants to kind of educate me on religious things. And as we have opportunity to talk and we laugh together and share together, uh, one of the things he sent to me just recently, I thought just grabbed me. And really, sometimes when we think about church, we think about religious things, and sometimes what we wonder is, is there really any benefit? Is there really any reason to think about the supreme being if there is one? Is there any reason to really think about Jesus more than someone who's on a card at Christmas time or someone talks about this, this person who, who is birthed at least supposedly in a miraculous way? Is there really any benefit from really investing in, in the claims of Jesus? There was a study done by the American Journal of Epidemiology. Anybody know what that is? Epidemiology? Huh? Germs. Well, it's a little bit more than germs that I read. But epidemiology is the, is the study of determining what is the cause for disease, okay, which is, is germs usually. And so one of the things is we think about diseases. Now not only are the physical diseases, but the mental diseases or mental illness. And so the, the Journal of Epidemiology, I'm not even saying it right, epidemiology, examine how being raised in a family with religious or spiritual beliefs affects mental health. Harvard researchers had examined religious involvement within a longitudinal data of approximately 5,000 people, which simply means it was a fairly extensive study, with controls for social demographic characteristics in maternal health. The result, children or teens who reported attending a religious service at least once per week scored higher on psychological well-being measurements and had lower risk of mental illness. Weekly attendance was associated with higher rates of volunteerism, a sense of mission. In other words, not only do they feel better, but they actually did better. They actually helped people. Forgiveness and lower probability of drug use. And so it goes on. And basically it's saying, look, it, even if you don't believe, which is the article went on to talk about, even if you don't believe, coming to church could help you out. Now, what we want to say, too, is not only is it just a sociological thing that could really help you, but really if there is substance to this one that we are anticipating to come, who is the, the word and is the only begotten, if, if this is really true, then it's quite possible he came to do something, that he came to, to really give us. As we think about Christmas, most often, at least when I remember when I was a little one, I, I'm thinking about receiving more than giving, right? It's all, it's all about getting, you know? But it, it's, there's some interesting verses in the Bible, in fact, one that's not even recorded in the Gospels, is that Paul, uh, Luke actually, Luke wrote in Acts chapter 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's one of those verses I think, I don't know if I really believe that, you know? But the reality is, it, it, once you get in the habit of giving after you've received, you realize that this is where really joy comes from. It's not about us. It, it's really about what God has done in us and through us and for us so that we can give to others. We, we, got, we got something to share. It's that cliche, we're, we're blessed to be a blessing. And, and when we do that, that's when we experience joy. And so what I want to talk about today is, is a very familiar passage, and we talked about that uh, a number of weeks ago when we urged you to memorize this, is what is it that God gives us? 
And what he gives us is what everyone, everyone wants. I, was, I won't go through the, the, the things I was looking at this past week, all the, all the gadgets that are really hot right now, all the things that you, you just have to have. They're flying off the shelf, and thousands of them have already gone off, and you need to buy them. But really, whenever you buy something, whether you're, whether you're receiving it or you're buying it to give to someone else, you're hoping that you experience happiness or joy from it, and you also hope that when you give it out, they receive happiness and joy. Well, what is it that God gives us? Well, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and depending on how long I spend on this first point, we might get to a few other verses. The, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you think about it, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to experience love? Who wouldn't want to be recognized that in life, no matter what's going on, there is someone out there who cares about you? Who wouldn't want to go through life being able to describe what's your experience and be able to say, well, my experience is I, I have joy. Well, how about when things go wrong? Well, even when things go wrong, I want you to know that I have peace. Well, how about the people around you that just irritate you? Well, I've learned that I can be patient with them. And so as we think about this, what God has given us, he's given us what everyone really wants at Christmas. And as we think about, you know, why should we be an inviting people? Why should we be in people uh, who talk to our neighbors about what, what Christmas is all about and what Jesus is all about? Because we have something that everyone wants and needs. And not only that, it, it's not only that what, what we need to experience, we recognize that, that this, this separation between us and God can be, can be bridged by the act of one particular baby that was born that we celebrate 2,000 years ago on a Christmas morning. They went from the cradle to the cross. And so this morning, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about what God has given us. But I want to put it in this way. As we think about what God has given us, I want you to understand, we're not to be, as some of us had the opportunity to be in Israel just a few weeks ago. It's not that we are given something just to hold on to. We're not simply to give the, you know, we're not supposed to simply to get the faith. We're supposed to give it away. And there's two major seas in Israel. You've got the Sea of Galilee, and you've got the Dead Sea. They're all, they're all flooded in in terms of the, the, the source of water from the same source, which is the, the Jordan River. But one is full of life, and one is full of death. And the reason the one is full of death is because it has no expression of the fresh water that comes through it. And sometimes what we need to realize is that, that Christmas is all about receiving, but it's all about giving out. And so we want to look at well, what has God given us that we have opportunity to give to others? Well, let's look at it this morning. What has God, the Spirit, chosen to give us? And that's the list of fruit that is described in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. There's so much backstory we could talk about that. As people talk about the fruit of the Spirit, sometimes what they, what they debate about, well, there's nine characteristics here. Well, are, they, are they nine separate pieces of fruit? And should it really be translated... The, fruit of the, the fruits of the Spirit. But in the original language, it's in the singular form. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And as sometimes people try to put that in their mind. We'll say, is it just one fruit with different flavors? And the one fruit is love. We know that the entire Bible can be summarized in one word, and that's the word love. Or some people describe it this way. As you think about the fruit of the Spirit, it's like a bouquet of flowers. When someone gives you a bouquet, it's one bouquet, but there's many different flowers within that. And I would tend to think that way, is as we think about the characteristics or the, 
the experiences that God wants us to receive from him, they're multicolored. There's all kinds of dimensions to them. And whether you take it as one major fruit that has all the different aspects to it, this is what God wants to produce in our lives. And it's not something that we do, it's something he does in us and through us. And we don't earn it, but it doesn't mean we don't put any effort into it. The Christian life is awesome, but it's not, what, it's not, it's not easy. And, and, and the Bible tells us that God is, God is uh, working within us, and we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but God is in us both the will and the work for his good pleasure. And so we have the opportunity to, to, to lean into, rely on, depend upon the, the spirit who lives within us so that we can experience all that God has for us. And he wants us to understand that when we bear fruit, he wants us to bear much fruit. And like I said, there's so much you could say just by way of backstory. But, it, but as you think about the fruit of the Spirit, you need to understand that, first of all, it's a, it begins incrementally. As you come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, you experience the joy of knowing him. You experience the, the sense of, of forgiveness. Uh, but it's supposed to grow in your experience. It's not supposed to remain static. And, and day in, day out, it should, there should be a deepening relationship with God. And, and we can see that in relationships with people. Hopefully when you meet someone the first time, you, particularly if you hit it off, you, you enjoy that person, you like that person, but you don't want to stay on a superficial level. You want that relationship to grow and develop and deepen. And that's how it is with God. And as we think about the, God, the things God gives us, it's supposed to grow and develop. So it's something that's incremental and it, it, it grows step by step. It's also inevitable. As we think about it, sometimes we, we feel like we're taking you know, two steps forward and three steps back. But I want you to understand that when you know Jesus, he's, he's, he's not going to give up on you. I'm, for I'm confident this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So maybe you've come in this morning, and really if you were to describe your Christian faith, you're more struggling than succeeding. You're feeling like uh, somehow God left you on the, on the sidelines, and it doesn't seem to be working for you. You need to understand that the Christian life is it's incremental and it's also it's inevitable. It's, it's going to work itself out, but you need to trust in him. But you need to realize significantly and fundamentally it's, it's internal. It's something that he does. We hold on tightly to him, but it's something he does within us. Well, what is it he does within us? Well, the first one is probably the most obvious one that begins that way. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love. And who, who doesn't want to be loved? I, I remember a, a friend of mine, his name was John, was John, in fact, it still is John, but uh, John was going through a very difficult time, and he was a pastor, is a pastor, and uh, things were going wrong in his church, things were going long, wrong around the people who he thought were his best friends, and he was really struggling. I said, well, how are you doing, John? He says, I'm doing really well. I said, well, uh, Explain that to me. He says, well, my, my wife still loves me, my kids still love me, and my true friends still love me. And, and so when you think about it, that there is a love that will always be there for you, and that's God's love. God demonstrates his own love towards him that while we were yet far from him, sinners, un, un, undeserving his love, Christ died for us. And as we think about that, we need to understand that God's love has, has depth to it as well. 
There, there are various words in the Greek language for love, and, and sometimes they're used just as synonyms. Uh, sometimes they're used in a distinctive way. The, the love is, that I always described of God, or at least in its depth, is, is agape love. And that agape love is that love that is sacrificial. That love is not based on what have you done for me lately, and if you do something for me lately, then I'll, I'll keep loving you. His, his love is constant. And he goes the extra mile for us. He's willing to, to endure the cross for us. There's another word for love in, in the Greek language, and it's used in the Bible. It's phileo love. It's that word we get from where Kay used to live uh, you know, in Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. And it's, that, it's that love we describe as warm feelings. And sometimes we wonder, does, how does God feel about us? <laughs> I mean, I know he's made that sacrifice for us. But I want to submit to you, and sometimes it's not emphasized by, by some people who teach the Bible, but, you know, I, I really believe that God not only loves you, but he likes you. He, he, he made you in his image. He, he has a plan and purpose for your life. Now, he doesn't always like everything you do. I know he doesn't like everything I do. But God not only loves you in a deep and intimate way, an agape way, in a self-sacrificing way, looking beyond our sin, but he delights in you. He, he likes you. There are other couple words described in the, in the Greek lexicon that we don't have to describe. There's an erotic love. There is a, a family love. But what I want to describe to you is as we think about the gift that God gives you, not only at Christmas, but any day you enter into a relationship with him and continue on that relationship, that he truly cares deeply about you. And when everyone turns against you, he is always on your side. But I want you to understand, and the Bible says that we love, not because we love God first, because he loved us first, 1 John 10, 11. And in 1 John 10, 11, he says, well, if you've been loved by God and you got loved by God first, then you ought to love one another. That the gift that God gives you in terms of love, it's not to be held onto, it's to be expressed to others. And so as we think about this gift that God gives us from the fruit of his spirit, the spirit of God, that we are called to experience his love, but then leak that love out on other people. Take what God has given you and then share it with others. So what has God given us? He's given us love and he also given us joy. Well, what, what is joy? It, the joy? The word for joy in the New Testament it comes from a word related to the word grace. It's, it's, a, it's a gift again. It's something that we don't deserve. It's kara, charis is the word for grace. And it's something that God deposits in our account. Well, what is joy? Usually a lot, there's a lot of distinction between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on your circumstances. And let's be honest, not all of our circumstances aren't deserving of happiness. But there is a joy in the sense that we can understand that joy is, is the feelings of well-being based on spiritual realities. There's a wellness within your soul. There, there's an exhilaration in which you recognize that in the midst of things going wrong, that there's something right inside. And, and you don't have to live underneath the pile. You can live above the pile because there is, there is one who, who, who wants to enhance your life and not detract from your life. There, there's always something that you can be thankful for. Why would, why would God challenge us? And we just finished the Thanksgiving in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And if you're giving thanks, there's something in your life that you can be joyful about. 
And again, as we think about what this is all about, this is a joy that's to be shared with others. In Philippians chapter 4, in the midst of a conflict between people in the church, have you recognized sometimes people can be at odds at church? You know, there's, there can be things or people in your life that, that irritate you and they happen to be at the same church you go to. Well, right in the midst of that, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And the reason that we can experience joy is that joy is not temporal in the sense it's not dependent upon circumstances. I came across this passage this past week that I never really looked at in this way. But in John chapter 16, and ladies, you, you might be able to relate to this, who've, who've given birth to children. Uh, John 16, verses 20 through 22. John writes, Truly, truly, I say to you. And whenever Jesus said truly, truly, he, it's not that he, when he doesn't say truly, truly, doesn't mean he's not telling the truth when he doesn't say truly, truly. You know, I, I'm, I really mean this right now. Does that mean you don't mean it when you don't say I don't really mean it? I mean, he's really, this is just simply, you're, I'm going to say something that's going to be hard to believe. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will get grieved, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the, what? The joy. It's a child, has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will say to you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. You know, sometimes we can, we can look at the Christian life, and we can describe in ways, and, and people again can say, well, that, that doesn't match with my experience. In part, we need to realize that there, there's depth to everything that we talk about in God's gifts to us. When we talk about God's joy being constant, it doesn't mean that there aren't fits of sorrow or grief. It doesn't mean that we have a silly grin on our, on our face every moment of every day. But when we look at life in the bigger picture, and I remember when, when we had our four children, and I think every time we had our four children, Alice was crying out, no more, no more. After the first one, and we, then she had three more. We needed some tax benefits or whatever it might be. You know, why, 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 did, why did she do that? Because in the midst of pain, it was the joy of bringing another person to our family. And so, as again, as you think about Christmas, as you think about what God wants to give you, he wants to give you, and he wants you to receive it, but then he wants you to give it to others. He's given you love. He's given you, he's given you joy. The word joy is used 70 times in the New Testament. And I think it's used 70 times in the New Testament because so often we, we forget that part of it, that God wants us to look for things in our life that we can return thanks for that will bring us joy. And then he goes on, and he says not only love and joy, but peace. And peace is not the absence of conflict. We have conflict all the time. It's that which brings Wholeness, and again, well-being, it's confidence, it's rest in the midst of the storm. It's the tranquility of mind that, that, that can only be described in what, what God can give us. Peace I give you, not, not like the world gives to us in John 14, 27, but uniquely the peace that God gives. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 9, basically, but 6 through 8, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, 
What surpasses all comprehension should guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, when we face unpeaceful circumstances, when we, we, take th- when we are involved in something that is, is opposing the peace that God wants to give us, we need to recognize that this is a gift from God, but we have to unwrap it. And what unwraps God's peace? It's prayerful dependence on what, what he's doing in and through our lives. It, it's the promise of looking at our life in perspective and realize in, in the midst of everything we go on that, that it is well with my what? Soul. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and as many of you have heard that familiar hymn, that in the midst of their, their pain and all the things that are happening around them, they can't look within and say it is well with my soul because they haven't encountered the one who, who gives that peace that passes understanding. You know, the Bible also says, however, that again, it's not something like the Dead Sea we receive, the rivers of living water into the Dead Sea, but we're to give it to others. In, John, in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says this, So far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. And I would, I, I would, I would, <laughs> I would be convinced that as we worship together, and that, 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 that bug that a lot of our travelers in Israel got, I think we brought it back because a lot of people are sick right now. But as you think about experiencing the peace of God from the Prince of Peace, he says, I want you to understand that you are to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so we think about the people in our lives that are just challenging us to live out our faith. We need to recognize that the peace that God gives us, that we need to be peace givers to others. So again, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit, as we think about this Christmas, God giving us, and, and we receive it, then we're to give it out. It all is combined in all those things God gives. And I don't even think this is an exhaustive list. And the reason I don't think it's an exhaustive list is because there are other lists that the Bible talks about, specific things that God gives us once we come into relationship with Him. But this is a pretty good list. He gives us love. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. And we don't have time if I don't get faster a little bit right quick. All right. He, he gives us patience. What is patience? It's, it's from an interesting word in the Greek language. Macrothemia. Macro, we, we can kind of relate to that. That's the idea of, of something big, micro, something small. And, and then themia has, it comes with the word suffering. And if you have the King James Bible, actually it's, it's a good translation of that word. It's, it, what is patience? It's the ability to suffer long. I'm really good at being patient if it's really short, you know. <laughs> you know, if it's only a, a, you know, a microsecond, I can be patient with a lot of people. But when, but when things that irritate me lengthen in terms of its time frame, or when things aren't, aren't fixed in, in a time frame, um, we had the joy of experience coming back from being a couple weeks gone. And do you, have you ever had the experience when you, when you take clothes that are clean with you on a trip and when you come back, they're what? They're dirty. So we're getting home, and say, oh, we're going to get things together. And so we wash the clothes, and all of a sudden we throw things in the dryer. And guess what happened to the dryer? It wouldn't, it wouldn't work, okay? So, so, you know, the suffering of a person, you know, you know 
So I, I got reacquainted with the uh, laundromat, okay? So, you know, you know, there's things happen, right? You know, and you're thinking, you know, I prayed over it, laid hands, and nothing happened to that, that, that dryer, okay? Is that, you know, patience is, is being able to, to put up with irritating situations. It's, it's being able to, to realize in the midst of all the things that happen in the world, you know, this is so, so minor, isn't it? So I have, to, I have to wait a little bit longer to get my clothes dried. I have to... I have to order something that still hasn't arrived yet, whatever it might be. But think about it for a moment. Aren't you glad that God has suffered long about you? There are so many things in our life that we took a, you know, a close look at our lives. I mean, it's, it's easier for me to see the faults in all of you than it is for me to see the faults in me. I don't really have any, but anyway, is that, but the reality is when you, you stop for a moment, you realize, <clears throat> I'm still working on being kinder and gentler, right? And, and, and God is patient with us. And so if God has been patient with us, are there some people in your life right now that you can say, you know, I need to be a little bit more patient with them. You know, God's not finished with them yet. And this applies to people you're, you're praying for and I hope you're reaching out for people during this Christmas season. You're praying about your neighbors. You're praying about people you do life with. You're praying about people that you've made connections with. And you're just, you're just longing for opportunities to tell them about your Savior, looking for opportunities just to, to show them love in a concrete way. You're looking for opportunities to invite them to hear about Jesus. And, and so you're patient with them. No matter how many times they've, They've said no to you, or no many times they don't want to hear you, but you're, you're just looking again for opportunities to live the life and share the life. But also people within your own family circle or your friendship circle that, that we always expect more of than, than we expect of ourselves. And, and just be patient, because look how many times God's been patient with you. All these words, and, and in fact, we, we obviously could do a a sermon on each one of these fruits of the Spirit or part of the fruit of the Spirit. But we would never get through Galatians if I did this, all right? So we're, we're going to move on. But, you know, kindness. You know, this is such a rich word that's even hard to describe. In fact, it really, again, always speaks back to God who then gives what he has to us. The Bible says in Romans 2, 4, it's the kindness of God who leads us to repentance. You know, I thought it was the wrath of God that scared us into heaven, Right? Because we didn't want to go the opposite place. We, we didn't want to go to hell, so we, we better get right with God. And, and that is a motivation. In fact, when, when I came to faith, that was probably my primary motivation. But, but wh- why, does God, why does God warn us about our future? Because out of his kindness, he, he doesn't want us to experience that which was never planned from the beginning, that judgment and punishment would come upon us because we rebel against the one and only true and holy God. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. What is kindness? It's the, it's the compassionate care of others. When Jesus was with people who rejected his message, it, it, he would often come to that experience where he would weep because as he reached out to them, they ran away. And so as we think about the people in our lives, could we be described as people who compassionately care practically, maybe with generosity or hospitality because they, they are people that need to know that we really love them. And one of the best descriptions of showing love is be kind to those around you. Goodness. Goodness is reflecting the, the character and the goodness of God. L- looking for what is really ultimately good for people. 
not, not just what we think is good, but what, what does God think is the highest good for them? In fact, all of these attributes are really God seeking that which is the highest good for others. Then in Galatians 6.10, it says, let us all desire to do good to everyone, and especially to the household of faith, especially to the, the people we know well. And sometimes that's the hardest people to do good to because we're, we're so irritated by them. But, but he says, do good to everyone, seeking that which is of most benefit to their life, faithfulness. It's the idea of being trustworthy, reliable, dependable, keeping your promise. It, it, again, speaks of who Jesus is. When Jesus comes again, he, he's not going to come in a cradle. He's already been risen from the dead from the cross. But when he comes again, it, when he comes in all his power and glory, it says the one who is coming is faithful and true. This is who God is. And all these characteristics, if you want to summarize them all, what does it mean to, to experience the fruit of the Spirit? It's, it's to live a life just like who? This is, the, this is the answer you can always say in church. You are to always, if you understand the fruit of the Spirit is living and experiencing a life just like Jesus. He is the faithful one. He is the patient one. He is the loving one. He is the one filled with kindness. He is the one who experiences peace and gives peace. He is the faithful one. And, and how challenging it is for us. Are we, we, are we a people that people can depend upon, rely upon? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says this. In terms of the stewards or the, the servants of God, there's only really one thing I require of all of you. Just be trustworthy. Just be faithful. And isn't that, and sometimes we'll say in our culture, you know, half of the job is just simply showing up. Can, can someone depend upon you? Aren't you glad you can depend upon God? He's always faithful. Gentleness. Some translations put in your, your list there, meekness. It's in the midst of, of being maybe in position of power or responsibility or control of someone else. Are, are, you, are you restraining what you could do by making sure you do what needs to be done and, and caring about their needs more than your own needs? In Galatians chapter 6, 1, there's, a, again, a, the admonition not only to experience the meekness, the ability to control that which is in, and we'll look at self-control in a moment, but in Galatians 6, 1, it says this, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Sometimes it, 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 in a relationship, it, we almost can delight in catching someone doing wrong, Right? And now, now we can compounce on them. That's not the hard attitude of God. He wants, to, he wants to catch us doing something that's right, not wrong. And that ought to be our heart. And when someone is, is caught in doing something wrong, we're, we're not here to condemn him or, or, or her. We're here to rescue them. In a spirit of gentleness. Not, a, not, not in an abusive way, but in a loving way, and caring way. Restoring someone to that place of Living right. And self-control. Self-control really comes out of the idea is that those passions and desires in our life that we know aren't right when God doesn't want us to go down that path and we just feel like doing it, we have the ability to say no to ourselves. And we can also say no in relationship to others. And We exercise self-control in relationships. 
God wants us to be people who demonstrate the life of Jesus with others. And as we look at all these attributes, again, this is something that's inevitable, it's an incremental, but it's, it's internal. It's something that, that God does in us and through us. But it, but it doesn't mean that we just sit on the sideline and, and don't give it our all. The, the word self-control is used in that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where it talks about an athlete competing in games. And, and if you're competing in games, uh, the person who's competing, they, they want to what? They want to win. And to win, you're going to have to do everything you can to win the battle. I was reading about, uh, there was a heavyweight championship bout last night. And, and there was a winner and there was a loser. The one that won trained so hard he lost weight before the battle. And the other one gained weight. He was six foot one and he, he does not look like you would call a, a, a boxer should look like. And they said that when he went, won the first bat, uh, fight, when he weighed, I think, 273 pounds. Well, he, he worked really hard, and then he weighed 18, 15 pounds more for the next fight. And, and they all said, well, the, one of the reasons he couldn't even compete well is because he hadn't trained. He hadn't exercised any self-control before his next fight. And sometimes we look at ourselves in the Christian life, the, the reason that we're not experiencing what God has for us is not because God is not willing to give it to us. So, we're not willing to give all that we have to receive it. So what's the point this morning? It's all about understanding that we've been given and we understand that now we need to give. We've received and now he wants us to be these kinds of people living like Jesus in front of others. Demonstrating love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But we need to understand that this comes from a relationship with, with God in which it's settled. And here I'll just comment on the two, three last verses. This is what God has chosen to give us. He has chosen to give us these characteristics when we, we walk deeply with him. But we've got to choose to do something. And some things we've chosen if we've crossed the line of faith. And Galatians 6.24 says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus... And if you're a Christian, that's one way to describe what does it mean to be a Christian. You belong to him. You don't, you don't belong to this world. You don't belong to uh, your job. You don't belong to, to anybody else. You belong to Jesus. Now, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What does it mean to cross the line of faith? Well, it's, it's to believe in who Jesus is. He's the Word. He's the only begotten one, and we're going to find out more about that. He is the Savior. He's the one who came to rescue us from our sin. But we need to understand when we do that, we say yes to Jesus, and now we say no to ourselves. Did you get that in there? When we, when we, follow, when we, become, when we belong to Christ Jesus, then we've crucified the flesh, our old life. It's now dead. We don't, we don't run by our, our past passions and desires. We might battle against them, and we do battle against them. But we say yes to Jesus and no to ourself. That old life is now dead. That's what baptism illustrates. You go underneath the water, symbolize your old life is dead. Now you come out of the water saying you now have a new life in Christ. We have chosen to crucify the flesh. But then secondly... Now, in a positive way, we choose now to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 6.25, if you live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. 
Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And let me just say it simply this way. When, when you become a child of God, you, you're now living in another dimension. The Spirit of God lives within you. He dwells within you. But it's our choice whether the one who dwells within us is the one who is leading us step by step. You live in the Spirit, but each day you choose to decide whether you're going to walk by the Spirit. And walking by the Spirit is simply as you would imagine. It's just taking a step at a time in His presence, relying upon Him to be the kind of person that God says you can be because I've given you these qualities. Now live them out. So again, what's the so what? I, I guess to a certain degree, as we think about this Christmas time, have you received it? Have you received that which only God can give? His love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control. I guess fundamentally, have you received his forgiveness? If you have, understand that, that if you have, now give it to others. And if you haven't, make that step today. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for each one of us here. And maybe, uh, maybe we've come in this morning and we're, we're still on the outside looking in. M- might we understand that, that God has a plan for each one of us. And his plan is a good plan. It's that which will radically change our life for that which is good, not that w- for that which is bad. Might they recognize forgiveness is only found in Jesus and, and we need to say no to ourselves and say yes to Jesus. And then, Father, if we've already made that step, might we realize we have the opportunity to live it out and then share it with others. Help us to to leak out all over this world today the love and goodness of God to others. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.